Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover, all for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 5,000 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 5,000. Enjoy. The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people, live nationwide and streaming live at lesliemarshallshow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. I'm Victoria Jones, in for Leslie Marshall today, and I am delighted to be here. Leslie is off. She'll be back in just a very few days. We've got a hot show coming up for you for the rest of the afternoon. We're going to be talking about what on earth is going on in Syria, as if anybody had a clue, because it's getting weirder and weirder and weirder. Also, the bombing of the Doctors Without Borders Hospital in Afghanistan by... Who? Well, it's looking like the United States, extremely like the United States. Was it a war crime? What happened? The United States says it's waiting for an investigation. Doctors Without Borders is pretty darn sure it knows what happened. We're going to be talking with Dr. Harlan Ullman, who serves on the senior advisory boards for the Supreme Allied Commander Europe in just a few minutes. We're also going to be talking about guns later on this afternoon as all kinds of initiatives are taking place right now after the dreadful community college shooting in Oregon last week that killed many, many people. So there's a lot to get to. And of course, I want to hear from you. And Andrew, I need the phone number. So I've got it. It's 888-653-7543. That is our number for when you want to call in. First, there, there are a few things I want to mention to you because, as always, the presidential candidates on the Republican side are saying strange things or things that show the – well, certainly in the case of Donald Trump – show that it's not just ego – it's egomaniacal. You know, I don't think egomaniacal is even the right word. It is a level of narcissism that is so off the charts. It is though it's never actually happened before. Donald Trump said in an interview that he's predicting, predicting, okay, so he's being a psychic now, a major collapse in the Republican campaign. There'd be a major collapse of the race and there'd be a major collapse of television ratings if he prematurely got out of the race. It would become a depression in television. 
Think about this. Notwithstanding the fact that almost nobody watches cable television except him, and he has it on all the time. He says a presidential campaign without him would become so boring that he would struggle to pay any attention to it. I wouldn't even be watching it, probably, and neither would anybody else. Well, there's a little bit of truth to that, but the reason he wouldn't be watching it is because when he's not watching the presidential campaign, he's walking around with a hand mirror, which he's staring into. The rest of us have our heads stuck into our phones. He has his head stuck into a mirror. He also said uh, to Chuck Todd on Meet the Press, if I were doing poorly, if I saw myself going down, if you would stop calling me, listen to this, because you no longer had any interest in Trump because he was doing so poorly, it's always a bad sign when people talk about themselves in the third person. I'd go back to my business. I have no problem with that. And then in September, he said to the New York Times, I have made Fox and CNN so much money and MSNBC so much money. So he's talking about the financial doom that's going to befall the TV industry. That's why he should stay in the race. The only reason he should stay in the race is so that I can say stuff like this. It's the only reason he should stay stay in the race. And so that I can stay stuff like this, which is appalling. He said on Sirius XM's POTUS channel, which is a radio channel on Sirius XM, that he agreed with Jeb Bush when Jeb Bush said that the Washington Redskins name should be left alone. When Jeb Bush said, I don't find it offensive. Now, as you know, Native American groups were were pretty ticked off about this because they actually do find it offensive. In fact, one of the most recent polls done just last year found that 67% of Native Americans found it very offensive. Trump says, honestly, I don't think they should change the name unless the owner wanted to. He said, I know Indians that are extremely proud of that name. They think it's a positive. Okay, then. Meanwhile, Ted Cruz, another 2016er on the Republican side, says the Obama administration's plan to accept about 10,000 Syrian refugees is nothing short of crazy. He told a crowd in Michigan today, that he thinks a significant number of refugees entering Europe are terrorists from ISIS. He says it would be the height of foolishness to allow Syrian Muslims into the country. So presumably, he wants to sort of like split them off. So if you're Christian, if you're Druze, if you're Jewish, maybe if you don't have any religion... Or if you're a recent convert to Christianity, that could be a bit iffy, actually. You can come in. But if you're a Muslim, you're out because you might be ISIS. Of course, we all saw the video of that young disabled girl, Muslim, from Syria. We all saw the video of her who learned to speak English by watching Days of Our Lives. She's in a wheelchair because we all know that she's a secret ISIS mole just waiting 
this kind of fear-mongering and ignorance. And bear in mind, this guy went to Princeton. He's not stupid. He's not a stupid man. He's playing to a crowd. And I'll tell you this. I will guarantee you that there is somebody from ISIS among the Muslim refugees from Syria. I will guarantee you that. There is bound to be. Is that a reason to keep out 200,000, 300,000 people? No, it's not. Because particularly in Europe, the majority, nearly all of the terrorists from ISIS are people who live there, they have local passports, or they've been living there a long time, or they're going to come in in a slightly more comfortable way than in a plastic dinghy that could just as easily tip over killing them as well as all the innocent Syrian Muslims, Christians, and Jews. Why would you choose that method when there are other ways to get into Europe or into the United States? Why would you actually pick that method as a, as a method of infiltrating? You might, but there are other ways to do it. So are there any? Absolutely. Are there many? No. But are there methods of filtering them out? Yes. Yes, there are. And is it difficult to get into the country? Yes, it takes about 24 months or longer to get through the kind of screening you have to get through. In fact, people are likely to not get through. Meanwhile, the Democrats on the House Benghazi Committee, on the, uh, sorry, the Select Benghazi Committee, are revolting. They've had enough. They have decided, they are so, so unbelievably ticked off with the Republicans. They have decided to defy the Republican leaders. And this is going against all precedent. They're going to release the transcript of a closed door interview with a former senior aide to Hillary Clinton, Cheryl Mills, if the Republicans in five days don't tell them certain things. This has never happened before. You don't do this. This tells you how much this system has broken down. That committee is irretrievably broken. Irretrievably broken. So that's what's going on, folks. This is the craziness that is Washington, D.C. And in, oh, let's see, fifth, uh, just over two weeks, Hillary Clinton will be testifying before that very committee. So that's going to be fun. Stay with us. We've got much more coming up. I'm Victoria Jones in for Leslie Marshall today on The Leslie Marshall Show. Leslie Marshall, the simple truth in a complicated world. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE.
I'm Victoria Jones in for Leslie Marshall today. Delighted to be with you. Leslie will be back in just a very few days. And I'm really pleased to be joined by Dr. Harlan Ullman, who serves on the senior advisory boards for Supreme Allied Commander Europe, one of NATO's two strategic commanders and commander of U.S. European Command. He's a senior advisor and a member of the Strategic Advisors Group at the Atlantic Council, also sits on the advisory board of business executives for national security, both nonpartisan think tanks in the fields of national security and international affairs. He also has written a handful of bullets, how the murder of Archduke Franz Ferdinand still menaces the peace, which you can get at Amazon.com, which you can do right now, actually, as you're listening to us. So, Dr. Harlan Norman, thanks very much for coming on. Hi, Victoria. Hi, so glad to have you on. Let's start. We're going to talk about Syria. We're also going to talk about the um, hospital bombing in Afghanistan. Let's let's talk with Syria because there have been some very interesting developments since uh, Russia announced it was um, going to help in um, parenthesis. We've heard in the New York Times today that President Obama last week approved two new steps to set an offensive in motion to put pressure on Raqqa, ISIS's uh, de facto capital. He's ordered the Pentagon for the first time to directly provide ammunition and maybe some weapons to Syrian opposition forces on the ground. And he's endorsed an idea for an increased air campaign from an air base in Turkey, though there's still some details to be worked out. And that's to the idea is to empower about 5,000 Arab fighters who join more than 20 Kurdish fighters in an offensive to pressure Raqqa. So, You've written fairly critically about President Obama's strategy. What do you think of this? I think it's long overdue. Um, There are a number of problems here because the Kurds, I think, had always should have been unleashed more to threaten Raqqa, which you point out is the capital of the Islamic State in Syria. The problem is that Baghdad has been the conduit for supplying American aid and assistance And obviously, I shouldn't say obviously, but Baghdad is very reluctant to empower the Kurds because the stronger that they become, the more likely it is that they're going to seek independence. So this is a two-edged sword. They haven't been giving them the guns, basically, have they? Correct. They've been they've been they've been slow rolling this for obvious reasons. So if the Americans are going to provide direct aid, that's going to put us in conflict with Baghdad. And the other issue is how are we going to get them there, since some of the routes are on overland, and I'm not sure the Iraqis are going to be very cooperative. Having said that, I think that a change in strategy is long overdue. As you know, I have argued in a couple of my op-eds that, as George W. Bush discovered in 2006, when Iraq was cascading into violence and chaos, his strategy wasn't working. He changed course. President Obama should have done that a long time. This is the first step. But I think it requires far more than putting pressure on Raqqa. It requires um, empowering the coalition of some 16 states against the Islamic State. It also requires giving greater authority to the special envoy, to our special envoy, to the coalition, so that that person has the power to take real action instead of just being a coordinator. And what we have to do is focus more centrally on the Islamic State in Iraq, something that we should have done for a long time. Now, having said that, there's an interesting tension, Victoria, I think, 
Um, Putin says that he's opposed to the Islamic State because it obviously is a direct threat to Russia. But I don't think he necessarily sees the Islamic State as an existential threat to Russia. Iran does. And I would hope through some kind of covert or sophisticated diplomacy, we are working this tension between Iran and Russia to use Iran's existential fears about the Islamic State to generate greater Iranian action, but also to use that as a leverage to enjoin Mr. Putin to make sure that his attacks are being sent against the Islamic State rather than opposition fighters, some of whom we probably have supported and trained. Well, what we're hearing so far is not only are the uh, Russian attacks, certainly from activist groups, not going against ISIS, in in some cases not even in areas where where there's any ISIS. They're going on to uh, rebel forces, some of whom have been trained by the CIA. But now um, Russia is now hinting that it's, quote, volunteer ground forces who are pretty nasty guys who have been in uh, the Ukraine um, maybe also soon be fighting there. So they're now putting ground forces in there. Well, first of all, uh, uh, first reports are usually wrong. There was a report in the English press quite the opposite of uh, what could be Russian propaganda showing attacks that were directed against Islamic State command posts. That could be propaganda. But I think we have to let the dust settle and really find out who has been attacking whom. I'm not sure we really know, and these reports may be accurate, but let's let's exercise cooler heads. Having said that, the Russians only have 2,000 or 2,500 ground troops right now, and quite frankly, if they want to enjoin in ground combat, the more the better, because this will get Putin further entrapped in Syria. Uh, my sense is, if Putin is smart, this is only a temporary intervention. That is to say that Russia will only carry, I shouldn't say will only, but Russia would only carry out attacks for two, three, four months until they are confident that Assad is uh, in a much stronger position and then withdraw. If they do not do that and if they do send ground troops in and there will be casualties and some of their ground troops could be captured and horrible things happen to capture people, as we know, looking at that poor Jordanian pilot who was burned alive, yeah. uh, Russia could be sucked into another Afghanistan, which, as you know, for 10 years consumed it from 79 to 89 and helped implode the Soviet Union. So I think the real risk here is that Mr. Putin and Russia could be sucked in. Victoria Jones, in for Leslie Marshall today, delighted to be with you, joined by Dr. Harlan Ullman, who serves on the Senior Advisory Boards for Supreme Allied Commander Europe, one of NATO's two strategic commanders and commander of U.S. European Command, and does a number of other very brainy things as well. He also is the author of A Handful of Bullets, How the Murder of Archduke Franz Ferdinand Still Menaces the Peace. It's available at Amazon dot com right now this minute dr Ullman, we were talking about a piece that you've written about president obama and president putin in which you were comparing the community organizer with the spy master and the uh, community organizer wasn't coming off too well well i was saying very much tongue-in-cheek that uh 
taking Martin Luther King wildly out of context, I had a fantasy. And the fantasy was that uh, Mr. Obama was managed to outwit the master uh, spy of Vladimir Putin and entrap Russia and Putin in Syria, going back to what happened in Afghanistan. And your point about the possibility of Russian troops being engaged would underscore that, though I think it's very unlikely the Russians only have some 2,000 soldiers. And if they were really to engage in ground operations, they would find themselves outnumbered. They would take casualties. And if any of them were captured, it would really be quite ugly. So I would just uh, be very, very cautious about those kinds of reports. And it seems to me if Mr. Putin were intelligent, he would only be there for a short time, as long as it takes to bolster Mr. Assad's regime and then pull out the majority of his forces, just leaving a residual force behind. Because getting trapped in Syria as Russia or the Soviet Union was trapped in uh, Afghanistan would be a catastrophe for them. Considering that Assad seems to have lost really a considerable amount of the country and seems almost to be stuck in a small area, how much can Putin boost him in a short period of time? I think I, with I think airstrikes, because it's, it's a question of population. So most of Syria is not occupied, is not inhabited. Um, so. There are some major cities like Aleppo and so forth that have fallen to the Islamic State. But I think it can enhance uh, Assad and give him some breathing room. But the point here is, uh, if Mr. Putin is being very, very clever, part of the reason for this military offensive is to force a negotiation. That is to say, by weakening the opposition, weakening the Islamic State, weakening al-Nusra and the hundred or so other jihadi groups, may encourage a negotiation. And the only way that Syria is ever going to be put back together, if it ever is in our lifetime, is through some kind of a negotiation. So rather as the American strategy in Vietnam was to bomb the North Vietnamese to the table, and indeed the Christmas bombing of 1972-73 did that, it may well be that this could be Putin's strategy. At this stage, Mr. Putin has not told us or shared his no. views of what he's thinking. And so I think for the time being, we have to take a more cautious look. Prime Minister David Cameron has done that. Uh, British Foreign Secretary Philip Hammond has already said that uh, Assad probably could stay until the negotiation took over. So there's been some flexibility. But for the time being, we should not respond to initial reports. We should see how this plays out and develop our own strategy at our timetable, not Mr. Putin's. And, and Kerry has indicated that as well, the Secretary of State, two that, weeks ago, that Assad Mr. could Putin, possibly stay. Uh, Mr. Obama kind of slammed the door at his U.N. speech last week uh, when, he, when he more than implied that Assad had to go. It's the inflexibility of the White House, which was a huge mistake, such as drawing red lines. And that inflexibility is such that uh, I think that is a real hindrance. Mr. Obama cannot have it both ways. He cannot want Assad to stand down right now and defeat the Islamic State. Rather like the Allies during World War II had to sign a, devil, a deal with the devil with Joseph Stalin and the Soviet Union, uh, we are probably faced with a similar situation in Syria if our major priority is destroying the Islamic State, whether we like it or not. For the time being, Assad has got to stay, however distasteful that is. Let's talk briefly in the time we've got left about this uh, dreadful bombing 
of a Doctors Without Borders hospital, the only hospital, it seems, in the city of Kunduz in northern Afghanistan, um, which the General John Campbell, the American commander in Afghanistan today, has changed his story on at a hastily called news conference at the Pentagon, um, in which he's now saying that Afghan forces had requested this strike while under fire and sort of conceding that the military had incorrectly reported at first that American troops were under direct threat. But he hasn't made it clear what the military first said, which was um, that it was an accident to begin with. Now, Doctors Without Borders has said there wasn't any fighting around the hospital, and they've also said that the building was hit over and over for about 30 minutes after they had let both Afghan and American forces know that we're here, you're bombing us. Uh, Victoria, there is no good answer. Uh, This is a tragedy. It's called collateral damage. It's blue on blue. It's friendly fire. In the spring of 1999, during the 78-day assault on uh, Serbia uh, and Belgrade, we bombed the Chinese embassy by mistake. When I was in Vietnam, I was uh, witness to an American Air Force bomber strafing a U.S. Coast Guard cutter in Vietnamese, South Vietnamese waters, killing the captain and the chief of the boat. I was the first guy on scene. These things happen. They're tragic. It's the inevitability fog of war, uh, and we will see it, what gets to the bottom of this. Uh, and, and there's no excuse. Uh, and it's, it's trite to say these things happen, but they do. We will find out. People make mistakes, um, and uh, this is one of them. And unfortunately, it's one of the... Uh, real dangers of war, that innocents get killed. And unfortunately, it it sounds callous, but as I said, there's very little that can be done. Normally, the U.S. has been extremely good in in averting friendly fire and incidents like that, but you can't be perfect, and when you're not perfect, people get killed tragically. No, you can't be perfect, but it raises a couple of questions. One of the questions it raises to me is, you know, you, you've got precision bombs. I mean, these are not dumb bombs, presumably. And you've got Doctors Without Borders letting them know where they are, and then the airstrikes continue for another 30 minutes. That seems odd. No, it doesn't. Unfortunately, you've got uh, all sorts of uh, communications. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. I don't know with whom Doctors Without Borders could have communicated and how they were communicated, what the chain of command is, and who was in charge of what. Uh, And as I said, uh, we will find an investigation, but while the investigation can say what happened, there is no way of uh, papering over the fact that this was an awful tragedy. And uh, it is one of the inevitable consequences of war. What about um, Doctors Without Borders calling for an independent investigation? Uh, that's fine, but I'm sure that the, that the U.S. and NATO will do uh, their own investigation. I'm sure it will be very, very objective, and I'm sure it will find out exactly what happened. Uh, no matter what they uncover, whether it was incompetence, whether it was an accident, uh, the fact is that 22 people were killed, and that's yeah. the tragedy. And so it's in everybody's best interest to get to the bottom of this. I will say that President Ashraf Ghani unlike Hamid Karzai, has treated this reasonably and with some degree of common sense. Uh, Mr. Karzai would have been yelling and screaming to the moon, making the situation far worse. And so far, the Afghan reaction 
is not necessarily as negative as it might have been when Karzai was president. The Pentagon apparently has uh, uh, has been sent um, five suggestions for changing the numbers of uh, U.S. forces in Afghanistan beyond 2016 that that would increase the numbers. Um, uh, Well, some of them, I think one of the suggestions would lower the numbers. One would leave it the same, and then the others would be the same. Yeah, I'm sure there's a standard number of options. There is More or less the same. because they are, they are very concerned that the Taliban is, uh, is quite likely to take over again. They should. What do you think about this? They should. It was self-evident that when Mr. Obama decided that he was going to have a date certain for getting out, <clears throat> that was an invitation for disaster. No matter how much we train the Afghan army, no matter how good they may be in the field, they lack infrastructure, they don't have an air force, they don't have adequate medical supplies and medevac, they don't have enough command and control, and they don't have enough uh, outside trainers. And so uh, it, was, it was clear, as, as could be, that by announcing a withdrawal, the Afghan forces under no circumstances would be ready. And so I think if you do not want Afghanistan to descend into the chaos of Iraq or Syria or Libya, there is no alternative except at least keeping and probably increasing American forces there in a support role. They don't have to be fighting on the ground, uh, but they do need to provide air support, medevac, uh, command and control, intelligence, and logistical things, all the things in which the Afghan army is notably weak and would take decades to become capable. And and yet you've got, I mean, this is just a sidebar in, in a way, and we've only got a couple of minutes. And, and yet, on the other hand, you've got this situation where Afghans were, would almost welcome the Taliban when it comes to uh, this dreadful abuse of boys and girls, uh, the sexual abuse of boys and girls, which uh, the Afghan soldiers, the, the military officers have been indulging in, the ones that have been fighting with the Americans, that has just been rampant because the Taliban banned. Well, no, I don't. First of all, I don't think it's been rampant. Uh, I think we need to have an investigation. It has existed. It has existed for a long time. And I'm sure it goes on the Taliban side. So before you say it's rampant, I'm not sure that's the case. Having said that, there is going to be a huge investigation. And unfortunately, cultural differences are a real problem. Uh, We still haven't talked about eliminating drugs. Uh, Drugs are a massive problem there from which the Taliban are benefiting, as are many of the warlords. The problem is that Afghanistan is still a failed state, and all all the king's horses and all the king's men could not put it together again. But withdrawing American forces would, I think, collapse the country, and that would be to nobody's interest. Well, we're going to have to end on that note, which is depressing, but uh, realistic. It's a tough life, Victoria. You've got to realize things are not going well. We need a strategy. We need to be able to take action. We need common sense. And White Houses too often are just not capable of doing that. And sometimes uh, situations are intractable. And sometimes situations on Afghanistan is not and was not. It may prove to be. But we have got to stay the course, and this was an argument that has been made for a very long time. But the Obama administration came in with its own ideological views, such as shutting down Gitmo, which I think was a good idea, but that did not work, getting out of Afghanistan prematurely, which I think was a very bad idea, and that certainly is not working. Thank you very much, Dr. Holland Alman. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Victoria.
Thank you so much. Stay with us. We will continue Talk Radio News coming up next. I'm Victoria Jones in for Leslie Marshall today. Song. That was the Folds, everybody. I'm Victoria Jones. In for Leslie Marshall today. Delighted to be with you. Leslie has a few days off and she will be back with you in a few days. I'm delighted to be joined now by former Congressman Bob Ney from the Talk Radio News Service, who's going to bring us up to date on the latest shenanigans in Washington, D.C., which he knows about like nobody else, because believe me, it's been going down there today. <laughs> Bob, what is going on, please? Hi, Victoria. It's so good to talk to you, especially in this format. Well, as you know, because you are a big follower of this, they're going to have their elections. Everything was on course, and all of a sudden, outgoing Speaker John Boehner just isn't done manipulating yet. He has now said, well, they're not going to have the follow-up elections to Speaker. They'll do the Speaker's secret election on Thursday. But after that, they're not going to fill the majority leader and the whip position, which, of course, is not making Congressman Scalise of Louisiana, a Republican, very happy. But I think it's just some type of internal manipulation to just get other candidates out there. So Boehner may uh, think he's smart about this, but this could turn into absolute total chaos, like a circular firing squad. Well, why could it turn into a circular firing squad? Isn't isn't this really to make Kevin McCarthy? I, I, I thought it was partly to make Kevin McCarthy really strong mm-hmm. so that he'd win as speaker. Um, is the idea to derail Steve Scalise and Tom Price, who were running for the number two and number three spots? Is that the idea? Yes, I think the idea is going to be to derail them. And of course, they want to make uh, Kevin McCarthy strong, but he's already done the faux pas of the of the year which is to basically admit what everybody knew, but, you know, to admit that $4 million in taxpayers' dollars were, were utilized to drive Hillary Clinton's political numbers down, which is a real no-no. So he's on thin ice in a sense. So they've got to get that election over with quick. But the rest is to derail Scalise. I think they fear, in a way, Scalise taking the number two position. What are they because... afraid of with Scalise? Why are they afraid of him? You know, he's going to, well, I, I think because of his association, that ongoing situation, you know, with uh, David Duke, uh, the fact that he's, you know, obviously very, uh, very vocal. So I, I, I think there's some type of fear there, but Boehner's manipulation in this is, is baffling because, in a way, they should just, you know, let the cards fall where they may. I, I don't think this makes McCarthy stronger. I think this makes a lot of bitter feelings, I think. And, and McCarthy's being challenged by Jason Chaffetz from Utah, mm-hmm. who is even less experienced than him and two years younger than him. Does he stand a chance? I don't think he stands a chance, although if something happens between now and Thursday, any other major faux pas on McCarthy's part, which I, I, I mean, I literally just, Victoria, shake my head over what he said about 
the uh, the Benghazi hearings and Hillary Clinton. But if anything else happens, then there is going to be some type of real challenge. Maybe not Chavez. Maybe they would bring somebody else in. But uh, I think McCarthy gets it. But he is just not ready for prime time. And yet, I was reading in the New York Times, he's going to be the least experienced speaker since 1891. So, mm-hmm. uh, so let's assume he gets elected, which it sounds like he will. Does that mean we're looking at a house of horrors? Well, you know, Boehner had been around a long time. I mean, at times was so inept and didn't seem like he knew what he was doing, but he at least had been around a while, you know, which if anybody stays around long enough, they learn something. And at least Boehner had some history there. Uh, McCarthy is not only, you know, new to this, but by all means. But, again, to make such a gaffe, it's, it's just internally they, they really would like to have somebody else. I just think they're stuck right now, and they're worried if they go out there and they don't get enough votes, it turns the floor into total chaos. And, and what are the Democrats going to do? Are they just going to sit back and laugh? Oh, I think it's to their benefit. You know, this is an internal party thing, and unless, unless, now this is fantasy world, if it just keeps deadlocking and they actually have to get a coalition, wouldn't that be unheard of? I highly doubt that, but in a, you know, perfect fantasy world, it would be very fascinating. But I think that the Democratic side just sits back and, and, and let them go, because if they run this chaotically and if... If they fight and they go into 2016 with a ton of chaos and a very inept run house, it has to play into the hands of the Democratic side for an election. Yeah, it does. Now, there's one other thing I wanted to ask you about, which is the Democrats on the um, Benghazi Select Committee in the House have revolted and have said that they're going to release testimony from a closed-door hearing of mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton's aide, Cheryl Mills. Now, this is yes. this is something that you just don't do, right? Well, you, you don't do it, but I think what's happened here, this has bubbled up to the point with the admission that this was for political purposes, which, again, everybody knew, but nobody ever says that kind of thing. I mean, ever. So... I think that the Democratic side has just got to the boiling point where they they just don't care. Yes, technically you don't do this. It's something not done. But I think that they feel that the Republicans have went so far out of bounds, it just doesn't matter anymore. Wow. And, Mm -hmm. And what are the ramifications of doing it? Can they be punished in any way? That's a great question, because, you know, the House would have to go after them, and the Ethics Committee would have to go after all of them. They could turn around and put McCarthy into the Ethics Committee. So I think that would be mutual advanced destruction. It's, I mean, it it feels like things are falling apart generally. It just doesn't feel like... uh, Yeah, I I don't think think they're going to take their numbers up. No, I think you're right on that one. Bonnet Talk Radio News, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Stay with us. We've got much more. We're talking guns next on the Leslie Marshall Show, Victoria Jones. The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE.
I'm Victoria Jones in for Leslie Marshall. Delighted to be with you. I'm with you for another hour. I want to talk about guns. You know, there are now more guns in the United States than people. This is just based on 2013 figures. And the numbers just go up and up and up and up and up every year. So they estimate Philip Cook of Duke University, who has done significant research on this, estimates there are 357 million. Actually, this is the Congressional Research Service. um, And this is based on the ATF. uh, 357 million guns in 2013. What? Yes! And 317 million people. Bearing in mind, some of those people are three years old. So I think we're doing okay on the gun front. But of course, some people want 14 guns, like the killer at the community college in Oregon. So, of course, you know, other people choose not to have any guns. So he made up for them. And so did his mother, Laurel Harper, a nurse. That's interesting. She's all about healing people, but she likes to have guns to kill people. According to Shelley Steele, who was an acquaintance who hired her to care for a sick son, she told the New York Daily News uh, she said she had multiple guns and wanted to get all the guns she could before someone outlawed them. Ooh, I wonder who she meant by someone. She said um, she moved from Southern California to Oregon from Southern crime-a-mania to open carry. She said, this is what this woman, uh, Laurel Harper, the, the mother of the killer, wrote in September 2014 on a Facebook thread. And when the mood strikes, and as long as we're tossing around brand names, I sling an AR, Tech 9, or AK over my shoulder, or holster a Glock 21, not 22, or one of my other handguns, like the Sig Sauer P226, and walk out the door. I find the shotguns are a little too cumbersome to open carry. Hmm. What how she feels now? She was reported to be crying uncontrollably after the mass shooting. I doubt she was crying for the victims. I just doubt it somehow. Because the gunman's father, Ian Mercer, said his son would never have had access to the weapons in the first place if he had had his way. I'm not trying to say that that's to blame for what happened, But if Chris had not been able to get hold of 13 guns, it wouldn't have happened. At that time, they thought he had 13 guns. Now we know he had 14 guns. And that's a fact. If he hadn't been able to get hold of all the guns, it wouldn't have happened. Maybe he would have had a go with a knife. But you know something? It's very hard to do that much damage with a knife. Very hard. You can get stopped much easier than you can when you've got the kind of guns he had. So Hillary Clinton today unveiled her new gun control measures aimed at strengthening background checks and eliminating legal immunity for sellers. Oh, so that's great. Strengthen background checks. 
It's less guns that we need. We need less guns. And nobody will do anything about it. And what I'm saying is absolutely radical because you can't say it. You can't say that we need less guns because people say you're going to take the guns away. I'm not saying take the guns away. I am not saying that. But we do need less guns. People need to make that decision to stop buying more and more and more and more and more and more and more because it's crazy. It is crazy. Gun makers doubled their annual output since 2009. It's called the Obama effect because they're terrified that President Obama's going to take away guns despite the fact that he's done no such thing. No such thing. Michael Bloomberg has decided to invest $50 million this year. He wants to build a nationwide grassroots network to motivate voters who feel strongly about curbing gun violence. What he wants to build is this organization that he thinks can outmuscle the NRA. And this is something that President Obama has said. He wants, uh, Bloomberg wants voters to get as energized and activated as the NRA become one-issue voters. But they won't. Because gun voters are absolutely dedicated to the issue, and the NRA has done an incredible job of this. It's going to be very hard for Bloomberg to get people to get that activated and motivated. Bloomberg is going after women. It's a smart move. Very smart move. They're not going to focus on banning weapons. Nope. They're going to seek to expand the background check system for gun buyers at the state and national levels. That's fine. Expand the background check system. I'm all for that. It's not going to do the trick. But do it. It's a start. It is a start. I'm all for it. They couldn't even... Do you remember, do you remember Sandy Hook? you remember the massacre of babies? Because these kids were basically babies. They were just out of babyhood. The massacre of babies in Connecticut. The Senate couldn't even pass background checks then. Democrats and Republicans both. Why? Partly cowardice. Partly because the NRA lied to them about what was in the bill and what it would do. And they fell for it. But it was political cowardice. It was political cowardice. That's why. So nothing's going to happen now. Because if they wouldn't do it with a Democratic Senate after infants were murdered, they're not going to do it after nine adults were murdered. That's just a fact. I'm telling you that's a fact. Anybody wants to argue with me about that, please do so at 888-653-7543. 888-653-7543. Nothing is going to happen. They're not going to do anything. They're just not. Now, 
presidential candidates are going to talk about it. And um, Jeb Bush has already said, stuff happens. Sounding rather like his brother's defense secretary, Donald Rumsfeld, talking about the disaster in Iraq when he said stuff happens, except he didn't use the word stuff. Stuff happens. And Trump has already said there's nothing we can do because people just slip between the cracks. You know, if you take the attitude that there's nothing we can do, you might as well say, let's not have any laws against murder. Let's not have any laws against arson. Because people are going to slip between the cracks. Let's not have those laws. Because they're just going to slip between the cracks. It's not a deterrent. Because law-abiding people won't commit murder. That's what they're saying. That's what they're saying. It's the same thing. Nobody ever calls them on that. Nobody ever calls them on that. Because it's too absurd. Because it's insane. The total number of homicides by gun in 2014, according to the FBI, was 8,124. Now, if 8,124 people died of smallpox in this country, we would have hearings on the Hill and we would have an outrage. Republicans would be outraged at President Obama's administration for allowing a public health crisis. I'm Victoria Jones, delighted to be in for Leslie Marshall today. Thank you so much for listening. We are talking about guns, and I'm asking you a number of questions. The main one is, can you please explain to me, somebody who has been an American citizen for 20 years, why it's normal that we have so much gun violence in our country because I don't understand. I don't think it's normal. I don't think it's normal at all. I don't think it's normal to have 8,124 homicides by gun in 2014. That's 156 a week. More than 22 people shot to death every day across the country. I don't think that's normal. I think it's weird. Is it normal? Do you think it's normal? If you can explain this to me, I'd be grateful. If you think I'm not off base and it's not normal, please explain that to me at 888-653-7543. Marina is in Ithaca, New York. Hi, Marina. Hi, Marina. Hi. 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 Um, hello? Yes, hello. I can hear you. Oh, yes, good. Um, I wanted to call you. I wanted to tell you how uh, I admire you. I know I've heard you on the Tom Hartman show, and I'm very glad you're being so forceful about this issue. I wanted to say that I used to organize in the 70s for Cesar Chavez and the United Farmworkers Movement in California. And yes. We were totally nonviolent. And I had guns waved at me and brandished at me many times, um, sometimes from my rate store owners who did not want to remove the grapes, especially if we were working in rural areas. 
and also on the field as a union organizer trying to um, encourage the workers to come out with us on strike. And I was standing one day in the Coachella Valley. It was 114 degrees, and I was standing next to Cesar, and uh, a teamster, I, I think you might know that the teamsters were also trying to organize the farm workers to corner the market, and they had the front of trucks already. And yeah. um, they had hired these people to brandish guns at us, and I had a double-barrel shotgun shoved to my throat uh, wow. while I was trying to sing We Shall Overcome in Spanish because Cesar requested me to do that. And we were standing on the back of that truck, and he said, don't worry, sing and sing loud so the workers can get courage because no one is going to die today because there are too many priests and rabbis and press here and no one will die today. Be strong. And he taught me that if you have a gun, you will surely get shot. The, the thing that saved us is that we, we did not have guns. Wow, that's an extraordinary story. Yes, I, I will never forget it. It has shaped my life, and I am totally with you, and I just hope that we can be strong enough to actually make less guns available, just as you said, Victoria. And I'm not advocating take them away. I'm just Absolutely. saying let's let's rethink our paradigm. Let's That's rethink right. it. That's right, because other countries do it, as the president has said, and uh, they have less gun violence. And I'm here in Ithaca, New York, and I can tell you we have a stricter gun laws here, and we have far less homicides uh, among the people. Oh, it's it's absolutely clear. If you go to slate.com and you type in guns, just go to Google it. They have a great chart that shows state by state uh, those states that have stricter gun laws have lower homicide rates. And they've got a fabulous little map with dots that shows it is it is just as clear as a bell it is as clear as a bell and it is tragic it is just tragic that we are stuck in an old 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 paradigm but we are and we have to shift our thinking and we can't do this by force it has to come from inside us and i really thank you for your call thank you so much I appreciate it. We're going to take more calls in just a moment. If you are on the line, please stay there. I will get to you in just a moment. Do not go away. If you've been trying to get through, now is a good time to do so at 888-653-7543. What is your solution to our incredible gun violence? 8,124. Number of homicides by gun in 2014. In the 24 hours just surrounding Thursday's Oregon killings, there were at least a dozen shooting deaths. This is crazy. What are we going to do? Give us a call. Let's talk. I'm Victoria Jones, in for Leslie Marshall.
See, I wasn't actually going to start talking. I was just going to let them keep playing the song, but course they stopped it because i got to talk because this is a talk show i'm victoria jones in for leslie marshall today delighted to be with you as i'm asking can you explain to me who's only been a citizen for 20 years why it's normal to have over 8,000 homicides by gun in 2014 because i don't think it's normal and i don't think you do either and I don't think we have to accept it. I don't think this is normal for us. This isn't normal for anybody I've ever met living in this wonderful country. Jim in Santa Fe. Hi, Jim. You're on the Leslie Marshall Show with Victoria Jones. Hey, Jim. Yes. Yes, Jim. Oh, hello. I Sorry, I, was, I didn't hear you. you were, it was really quiet. Am I, I'm on the air. You are on the air. Okay, real quick, let me, let me take off speakerphone. Yes, do, because otherwise um, you was, sound awful. I was listening to your last segment, and you were mentioning how there, you know, in the places with more guns, there are more crime. Well, you're also, you know, I don't really think that jives too well with places like Chicago and Los Angeles that has very strict gun control, and they also have a whole lot of murders. Uh, you're talking about cities. I'm talking about states. Okay. Uh, also, my main point I wanted to make was human nature has not changed ever. Um, people are still killing people. The most popular example is you have this out-of-control rogue army in the Middle East killing everyone who doesn't agree with them. They're called ISIS. Um, and personally, every single time I've had to defend myself in the past 20 years, 100% of the time the police have not been there. And the quickest, the, the quickest they showed up is like 10 minutes after the incident um, was over. And I personally want the most effective tool to defend myself with. And when you're talking about 8,000 murders per year, that sounds more accurate than the Brady campaign's estimate of about 35,000 murders per year. Um, 90 to 95% of these murders, that I, what I read about from FBI statistics and others, 90 to 95% of these murders are gang-on-gang crime. And as far as I'm concerned, they are doing a I don't know that. I don't know that that's true at all. Okay. And I'd need to see, I'd need to see a stat to support that that's true. I don't know that's okay. true at all. Yeah, it's it's a, a, an overwhelming percentage is gang on gang crime, and as far as I'm concerned, they're doing us a favor by eliminating. I don't themselves. I don't know that that's true, so I'm not accepting that that's true. You're you're all just right. saying that. I don't know that that's true. I don't know what kind of life you lead that you're constantly in this danger that you're needing guns to protect yourself. So um, I, you you might want to change your lifestyle. Mm. I'd move to a gated community, perhaps, where all the liberals live. No, I'm just saying you might want to change your lifestyle if you constantly find yourself needing to use a gun to defend yourself. Well, you know, you sound like you have a British accent, so if you don't like Americans owning guns, I will do you a favor, and if you want to move, I will help you pack. Here Thank we you. go. This is fascinating, because you see... I have a First Amendment right to say anything that I like, just as you have a Second Amendment right, and neither amendment trumps the other one, and your jingoism and xenophobia are very sad, as is your ad hominem attack. I took a test 
to become an American citizen. I passed it. I got all my answers right. I paid my fees. I have absolutely as much right as you do to be here. In fact, you could make the argument that because I wasn't an accident of birth, I have more right to be here than you. And I think it's very, very sad that when you feel you're losing the argument, you make an ad hominem attack on me because I sound different from you because I'm a first-generation immigrant. Unless you are a Native American, one of your ancestors sounded different too. So on that note, I'm going to say goodbye to you, Jim, and one day perhaps you'll get over your prejudices. Bye-bye. How sad. Oh, well, never mind. Sachelle is in New Mexico. Hi, Sachelle. Hi, Sachelle. Hi. Hi. Hi, Sachelle. You need to uh, turn your radio down. Okay, I will. I'm just laughing about the guy that you were just talking to. It's so funny. He's from New Mexico, too, from Tentose. I'm from Albuquerque, one hour away. And New Mexico has the most number of Native Americans than anywhere else in the U.S. And you would think he'll figure out that he's an Anglo and not Native American. Yeah, well, you know, he has ancestors, I imagine, who uh, probably had an accent at some point. And it, it is, it's been fascinating to me since I did my very first talk show. Um, when even before I became a citizen, I was attacked for having an accent. Um, and, you know, I have a First Amendment right to say whatever I want on the air, unless whoever is hiring me decides that I don't. And they have a, they have a right to fire me. And um, it, is, it is so sad that people who can't argue resort to ad hominem attacks. And it is of so course. pathetic that people resort to xenophobia and jingoism. Of course, that makes sense. I'm also first-generation American. I'm from Haiti. Uh, but I came here when I was 12. But perhaps my accent is a little bit less noticeable than yours. But it's just so typical. Whenever they can lose your argument, it's either, oh, well, there's violence in the ghetto, and, and well, they have stricter gun laws. But um, I don't remember having any gun manufacturers in Chicago and New York City and the urban areas. Do you? Uh, well, the ones that were in some of the more liberal states have actually moved out. Exactly. They've, they, they've so left some of those states. They've moved to other states. But um, it's interesting. The, 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 they're doing quite well, the gun manufacturers. Of course, because the NRA doesn't really represent the hunters. They really represent the gun manufacturers. They have someone buying up our politicians. And they're fooling people like that guy in Santa Fe. I forgot his name, Kim or something. And to thinking, oh, we're for you. We're for, for your amendment, right? But it's not. It's, it's about selling guns and making money. And if guns were illegal to buy everywhere, people in the hood would not be able to shoot at each other. That's correct. It's correct. And I appreciate your call. Thank you so much well, for getting on the air with keep me. Keep talking. You're as American as apple pie. Which I happen to like very much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Dory is in California. Hi, Dory. Hi, Dory. Hi. It's great to talk to you, Victoria. 
Good to talk to you. Thank you. I, I'm calling about this issue. Thank you so much for covering it. I am leading in our, our valley here, Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. And that man that was just on did not have all the facts. The Brady Group, Moms, all the others do not say 33,000 murders every year. They say 33,000 gun deaths because a lot of those are also suicides by gun. My understanding is that there are more suicides by gun than homicides. Yes. And I'll tell you why I got involved with moms, and I love this organization, and the women in it that I know are so dedicated, and they care so much, and they're working so hard on it. The reason I got involved, two reasons. One is I have a very close male relative who is schizophrenic, and North Carolina let him buy guns, even though he had been admitted to a mental hospital. Was, was that because shot. of the laws or because of a, um, a, loophole, a loophole or because, of, because he a just loophole. slipped through the cracks? No, it was a loophole in the law because he was committed by a magistrate and not a judge. Now, isn't that ridiculous? Yeah, and that's he, crazy. He is not, and we're grateful he is not dangerous right now, but at some point he could become dangerous. The second reason is about 16 years ago, a, a teenage second cousin uh, shot and killed himself with his father's gun. Oh. Because, and it's so sad. And my cousin, his father, died like a year later of a massive heart attack. I'm sure his guilt was awful because he should have had that gun locked up. And, That's very uh, sad. Yeah, it's, it's very sad. And you hear these horror stories every day. I'm so glad I live in California where the gun, gun laws are stricter. But we still have shootings in California because guns come from Arizona, from Nevada, from other states that have lax gun laws. Or people do not follow the laws. They break the laws. So in my opinion, Moms has a lot of proposals out there today, and we had a Twitter town hall with Valerie Jarrett from the White House today about yes. this issue. But I think we should treat guns like we do cars. You have to be trained, you have to be tested, licensed, registered, and insured. Why can a kid like the murderer from Charleston, South Carolina, with no training or anything, go out and buy a gun, and then he, and that gives him the right to kill nine people who were praying with their eyes closed when he started killing them? Well, and, and we have to, to go to a break, but he got the gun because the three-day rule allowed him to get the gun. And that it's is a ridiculous rule, which uh, for the listeners who aren't familiar with it, is the, there was a three-day background check. And uh, because of screw-ups, they didn't get the background check done in three days. And the way the law is written is that if they don't get the background check done in three days, the default is that you can buy the gun without a background check. So there are moves afoot by some people to say, well, wait a second, that doesn't make any sense. The default should be that if you can't get the background check done in three days, you can't buy the gun. You have to wait till the background check is done. Why should you then just be able to get the gun? But no, he got the gun because the background check had not been done. Anyway, I appreciate your call very much. Thank you. Everybody else, please, uh, if you're on the line right now, please stay right there. Jim and Craig. And uh, who else have we got? I think we've got Michael and we've got others on the line. Stay right there. We will get to you coming up. 
in just a couple of minutes. I'm Victoria Jones in for Leslie Marshall today. Stay with us. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE. Victoria Jones in for Leslie Marshall today. Delighted to be with you talking, talking about guns, talking about how is it normal that we have over 8,000 gun homicides in 2014, as our previous caller pointed out. The Brady campaign does not claim 30,000, but there are a lot of suicides by guns. There are more suicide by gun than there are homicide by guns, and we're taking your calls as we talk about how is this normal? Is it normal? And what do we do about this? If if there's anything that can be done about this, given given who we are and how we are, Reggie in Georgia. Hi, Reggie. Hey, Reggie. Hello, Reggie. I think Reggie's line dropped. We'll see if he calls back. Okay. Jim in California. Hi, Jim. Hey, Jim. Jim there? Apparently, Jim is having a phone problem as well. Jim's having a phone problem. Okay. Uh, we got Reggie, Jim. How Reggie's back about... on four. Let's try Reggie again. Okay. Reggie, are you there? How you doing, uh, Victoria? Happy Monday to you. Happy Monday to you, too. Uh, yes. Uh, I think that the blood is on the NRA's hands, and, you know, as well as these massive shooters' hands and their parents' hands. And the reason why I say that is because where, where exactly the hell has Wayne LaPierre been these past few days, ever since the Oregon, Oregon gun shooting happened just a few days ago? Where has he been? Is he hiding out somewhere? I haven't heard him say anything about this or popped his head up and said anything about it. I haven't seen him on the... Uh, general worldwide public general populace or those general worldwide public confronting this issue. Where have you been hiding it? He usually keeps quiet in the first few days after one of these. And then about what I mean, what has happened in previous uh, school shootings? Then about a week afterwards, there is some kind of press release put out. um, And it's not always from him. It's very often from his number two. And it, it, it will say something and, and it will talk about education and, and the need and it'll talk about mental health and right. it will talk probably and it may even talk about the need for teachers to be armed or something like that. And I, I don't know what it's going to say, but I would think it'll come out this week. Right. But well, you have these, you know, these conservatives, you know, who love their guns, who are gun owners. Some of them, some of them are radio and TV talk shows who are gun owners themselves with kids around, who are ki- parents of kids around the house, and they have gun boxes. But what if their kid get it? What if one of their kids gets into one of their gun boxes and pulls out a fully loaded, well, 38 caliber to be to be for an example, and starts playing with like cowboys and Indians and starts twirling, twirling it around like RoboCop, and then they drop it on the ground and it accidentally goes off, killing them and shooting them in the head, killing them. 
checking in time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's 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 shocking. It's um it's it's very it's it's just terribly terribly sad and and I don't know why we seem to have this just high number of these it doesn't make any sense to me and 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 we just also have had this high number of I wonder if I can find my numbers on this I'm not sure if I can this high number of plots since Columbine and over Something like 80, I think it is, that uh, the people have tried to carry out since Columbine. And that, that is equally weird. Uh, Reggie, I really appreciate your call. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Andy in Santa Fe. Santa Fe's busy today. Hi, Andy. Hi, Andy. Well, hi, Victoria. Uh, hi. You're, you're doing a blasting good job today. And and I just want to uh, counter a previous caller's uh, uh, statements from Santa Fe, New Mexico, by saying that I've lived here for 35 years. I'm a white guy, moved, moved here when I was 19, and I have friends of all sizes, shapes, creeds, and colors, and I have never seen a gun drawn since I have lived in Santa Fe at all, and I feel sorry for that guy who called earlier because he must just be a belligerent butthead who who makes the guns come out. You know, who knows? Well, I don't know. I mean, it, it could be that he has unfortunate experiences. Some people do have unfortunate experiences. I don't think I don't so. want... I don't want to judge anybody. I don't I want understand. to judge anybody or their I lives. I understand. I just, I just want to stand up for the community of Santa Fe and say that it's, it's a loving and good community, and we're all a bunch of good people here trying our best. And I don't know what you know, world that guy's living in, but uh, it isn't mine. It's a different Santa Fe from yours. I, I, I understand. And uh, I, I wish I had an opportunity to go to your Santa Fe right now. It, well, it's, uh, it's, it's a wonderful place. Thank well, you so much for your call. Keep your fire going. Bye. Thank you. David in California. Hi, David. Hello, David. Yes. Yes. Hi, David. Hey, Victoria. You're doing a great job. First of all. Thank you. Um, second off, um, I just want to bring up this. I, every time I hear the, the pro-gun side talking, they always bring up the Second Amendment. They feel like they don't really understand what it means. Uh, the, the right well, it's, just, it's the subject of a lot of debate, what it means. It's not simple. I mean, what I, the way that I look at it is, I mean, if you want to take on the quote-unquote tyrannical United States government, you are going to need a lot more than AR-15. You're going to need some tanks, some jets, and maybe a couple of nukes or two. And that that just pretty much, in my opinion, makes the Second Amendment argument moot. Well, I, you know, I, I I'm hoping that nobody wants to do that. And uh, <laughs> you know, the, the the way if you want to take on the U.S. government, the way to do it is through the ballot box. Uh, is, exactly. is to run for office yourself. That's the way to do it. Exactly. And then that leads me to my next point. I think that uh, this is the the gun debate is kind of a prime example. Is I think it was Thomas Jefferson said that. Uh, the people should rewrite the Constitution every 18 years so they're not barred by their father's rules. Well, given our gridlock saying that, you know, we probably couldn't get a bill through saying apple pie or blueberry pie, um, I, uh, I, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. But 
it's 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 a nice thought. I appreciate your call, David. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for getting on the air. I'm out of time. We didn't figure out whether it's normal, except I don't think it is. Nobody has explained to me that it is. The, the one guy who attempted to explain to me that it was ended up insulting me for being an immigrant and for having an accent. So I think that made my point. And that's it. I think that made the point. It's not normal. Thank you so much, Victoria Jones and for Leslie Marshall. This is no ordinary sub shop. This is Firehouse Subs. Welcome to Firehouse. Tired of overpriced lunches that underdeliver on flavor? Head to Firehouse Subs, where for a limited time you can get a $4.99 choice sub. Choose from a medium smoked turkey, Virginia honey ham, or roast beef. They're custom-made hot subs at a price ready-made to make you smile. Just $4.99, only at Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs, save more lives. Participating locations plus tax limited time offer prices may vary for delivery. This is no ordinary sub shop. This is Firehouse Subs. Welcome to Firehouse. Tired of overpriced lunches that underdeliver on flavor? Head to Firehouse Subs, where for a limited time you can get a $4.99 choice sub. Choose from a medium smoked turkey, Virginia honey ham, or roast beef. They're custom-made hot subs at a price ready-made to make you smile. Just $4.99, only at Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs, save more lives. Participating locations plus tax limited time offer prices may vary for delivery.